Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast by Opus Partners. I'm your host, Steve McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And to the show, we've got another case study Sunday and we're very pleased to be joined by Simran Kerr from Girls That Invest. Sim, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's been a while since I've been here. Yeah, it has been a while. How long would it have been? I think it was 2020 you might have come last onto the show. Yeah, 2020 or like 2021, like it's been a couple of years now. And since then, you've done a lot of stuff. You became a billionaire at 25. And I think last time we talked to you, you were very early on with Girls That Invest, which is a very fantastic podcast and education platform that helps people from all over the world start investing and growing their wealth. At the time we talked to you last, you just bought your first house and created a $57,000 deposit in just over a year and you were renovating your first home at the time. Now, since then, you've been all over the world, moved to Auckland, up from Hamilton, gone full-time with Girls That Invest, launched your own course, and become a millionaire. So let's catch up. <laughs> Hardly anything. Honestly, <laughs> Sam, your parents must be so disappointed, <laughs> underperforming. I understand why I'm so tired now. Like, when you say that out loud, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that happened. Yeah. So, Sam... Give us an update on your property situation. How'd the renovation go with your Hamilton property? It was not smooth sailing, but it was so fun. I did a lot of it myself. I think the things I could do were things like obviously like tiling and, and organizing and finding as many cosmetic changes as I could make. And then obviously bringing in professionals when it came to things like the electricals. I, I didn't think I was cut out for that just yet. Did you say you did the tiling yourself? Yes. How'd that go? It was so fun. Wow. I enjoyed it so much. Oh, wow. That's um, geez, surprising. You... Yeah. <laughs> it's like therapeutic. I'm quite OCD and I'd get quite upset. I remember at woodwork, I'd always accidentally shave a little bit too much off with the plane and then I'd get all upset and have to start again. It's a bit like your eyebrows shaving too much off. <laughs> now, some, how did you figure out what to renovate and what not to renovate with your property? Well, I understood, thanks to listening into the podcast, a couple of things and that you can definitely overcapitalize in the area they had bought in was not by any means like a very fancy area. Um, and so for me, I was very aware of that. And I tried to make the most bang for my buck. I didn't have a lot of money to start off with. So it was the kitchen and the bathrooms and the flooring. Those were the three kind of main points I wanted to change and really change up the look of the house by not doing too much. And how much did you spend? I spent about, it was quite overall cheap, around fifteen dollars to $17,000. That's really good. I, I started writing down fifty when you said that. <laughs> and just remind us where this property was, because although you purchased this as your first home in Hamilton, you'd specifically chosen the area because you thought it was going to be a good rental. Just remind us of what those factors were that led you to believe that. Absolutely. So when I was renting in Hamilton, I was actually renting on that street that I ended up buying in. I was living with some friends that were medical students and they were working at Waikato Hospital. And for them, it was really important to have a rental that was near the hospital. Like location was more important than maybe any other factor associated with the house. And I thought, oh, this is great. Like there's such a demand and they're really great tenants, you know, like medical students are quite busy with their studies. And they tend to be a bit more sensible than your typical economics student like Ed. I wouldn't know, but yeah, they were great. And so for me, my thought process was I'd like to live here, but long term, I'd like to rent it out to like these exact 
you know, types of tenants. So I almost like had the person in mind of who would live in this house and therefore I was able to like reverse engineer what kind of renovations would be important to them. Obviously you use the kitchen a lot, the bathroom needs to be nice, but things like the bedroom didn't have to be, you know, super fancy or modern. Now, so from memory, you purchased the property for around about, you got to correct me, but I think it was about $570,000, $580,000. What do you think the property's worth today? Yes, I purchased it. I still remember the exact price. It was $565,000, so you're very close. And in all honesty, because I bought it in March 2021, I think the price went up and then came back down to what I purchased it for. Yeah, that's what a lot of investors are finding at the moment. If they purchased it around that time, it's gone up and then come back down. But that's okay, there's a long-term investment for you. Because just for context, the property market between March 2021 went off like a frog in an absolute sock, peaked at about November 2021 and will have fallen by about 20-odd percent probably in Hamilton. Can't remember the exact figure. In Auckland, it's about 22%. So it's not surprising that it might be worth, again, around about 565k. And just before we move on to talk about more of what you're doing today, what would you say is the biggest learning in the renovation process for you? I think now that I have done the renovations, I would not do them again. I think that's been the biggest learning. (laughs) Yeah, really? The other day you were telling me that you were going to renovate another property. Yes. Look, it's like when you do something and you enjoy it so much and then you look back on it and you're like, that was a bad idea, but you forget. And you know, we don't always learn from our mistakes. I always say that it must be like giving birth in the sense that I was like, going to say that. I've, got, I've <laughs> gone through the process, not myself, but my partner, obviously, <laughs> oh, of the labour process. And it was traumatising. <laughs> yeah, that's Horrendous. probably the word. It was traumatising. And afterwards, like, I remember at the time, Lauren screaming, you know, get me an epidural, all those kind of things. Well, I get in trouble with from her for saying this. Anyway, to be fair, though, did. that birth was a bit traumatic. It was not smooth sailing. Yes, I know. But what I'm saying is afterwards, she's telling me it's the best experience of her life. And I'm oh. like, you're off your head. It wasn't. There was nothing good about it. But I think renovation projects are like this. Every now and then, I think I might do another renovation. And then I think back to yelling for an epidural. Now, just for any mums out there who wish to make a formal complaint, (laughs) please email andrew.nickel at opuspartners.co.nz. You understand what I'm saying, though, don't you, Sam? Yes, obviously it is not the same as as childbirth, but it's the idea of, like, you do something, it's terrible in the moment, and then you look back at it and you go, wow, like, this is such great tiling. I could do this again. So rewarding, yeah. And the other thing is, just for everybody at home, I probably catch up with Sam once every two weeks to a month and always ask about what she's up to. So it was very surprising when you say, I don't want to do another renovation. I was like, two weeks ago, you were telling me that's exactly what you were going to do. So some tell us, interest deductibilities obviously changed for you. So how are those rules affecting your property? Yeah, so it's obviously had a bit of a negative impact on my cash flow. But I think it was, like it was always in the back of my mind that my first home was probably going to be a doer-upper. I couldn't have, at that time at least, afforded a brand new home, even with the benefits that came with it. So I don't know if it was perhaps like the smartest financial choice, but it was the only one I could have made at the time. Yeah. And sometimes I think that's that's okay to make those decisions. It's, it's better to have something that's not as good as what something else might be there rather than have nothing at all. Yeah, that was my thought process. And this was before the laws changed. So they, yes. they weren't things that were I guess at the front of my mind. You made the decision that was right in the day, right? Yeah, you would have purchased the property, uh, gone unconditional, and then the laws would have changed like the next week. It would have been there very quick since it was March 2021. Now, one of the things we talked about in the past, you know, just you and me privately, 
was that at the time that you launched the Girls That Invest course, you had a lot of money coming in and for a financial guru, didn't really know what to do with it. (laughs) Isn't what, that so funny? <laughs> uh, well, that's the interesting thing as well is that, you know, obviously Sim knows a, a lot about money, but sometimes it's interesting when it's your own money that you start to have questions about, you know, what should I do? And also, I think when you have knowledge of different products, then all of a sudden it can be a lot harder, whereas some people that just kind of had no knowledge just do something that, you know, the only thing they know what to do, right? Absolutely. It was like a lot of analysis paralysis and I was kind of debating, there was kind of three avenues for me. It was investing back into the business, investing in another business, or investing into things like property and, and shares again. And so I was, yes, I was speaking to Ed and I was like, what, you know, what should I do? I'm not sure. And obviously he couldn't tell me what to do as much as I like asked, <laughs> but it was really hard. And it kind of goes to show like, it's very easy to do things in theory when it comes to like the decisions in real life, you can really get stuck. And that, that just surprised me more Absolutely. than I was expecting it to. I get that completely. And what, so what did you end up doing? Ended up investing back into the business and I just thought I'll just double down and invested a little bit more into shares. And now, you know, my current goal is to buy my second property. Awesome. And we'll get into that at the moment. One of the things that we did discuss at the time though, and Andrew, maybe you'll have some thoughts on this, is Sim had a, a big pile of cash and because she didn't know what to do with it, one of the big things I always consider is how do you make sure that that stays liquid then? So mm-hmm. if you've got a pile of cash and you're like, I actually have no plan for this, I always think, well, what can you do with it in the meantime while you figure out what that decision is? And knowing that you had a mortgage at the time, one thing we discussed was chopping off a big chunk of your mortgage as a revolving credit or an offset mm-hmm. account, putting some of that money into that offset or revolving credit account so that you're saving interest on your mortgage, but at the same time, that money is available. So once you have a plan of what to do with it, whether it be a property, invest in shares, invest in something where it's going to be a bit tougher to get your money out, then you've got that option at that time. I agree with that theory. The one thing I would say there is not revolving credit, only offset. So Sim, which bank are you with? ANZ. ANZ. So ANZ only have revolving credit or flexi facilities, they call them there. The problem with that is if you pay off that mortgage and then redraw it, the balance is no longer interest deductible. So you don't get the phase out. So if there was no deductibility because of when she purchased, then it wouldn't matter. But Mm -hmm. you lose that deductibility. But otherwise, if you do it on an offset, you still maintain that deductibility. And then I like that idea. That's exactly what I was going to recommend. I need to just check the latest IRD rules because I remember that was a discussion and one of the original discussion docs. I haven't seen the latest information, but they did flag that in that discussion doc. We'll get some tax advice, read the latest documents and come back on that, that specific one. Well, I'm glad that you agreed with me because my disclaimer to Sim was, <laughs> you not I, a financial advisor. I am not a financial <laughs> advisor. So that's why she said before, Ed couldn't tell me what to do. When she said that, I was relieved. Yeah, yeah. I was like, <laughs> so I've invested all this money in this. <laughs> Ed told me to buy Bitcoin, so I, so I did it. On and the then, record. <laughs> then I gave him the password. Sim is far too intelligent for that. <laughs> so, Sim, you said that you wanted to invest in property further. What's the strategy looking like there? Where's your mind at? I think for myself, I really toyed between two ideas. And it was, you know, should I have an owner occupy a home? So is that my next step? Or do I turn the second home into a rental and then just like, you know, live in one room when I can because my work has changed and I travel a lot more and I'm not always in New Zealand as often as I'd like to be. So it was kind of weighing that up. 
And so I've I've kind of decided to go for the latter to have a home which I can rent out but keep a room for myself. So a flatmate situation, I guess, essentially. And in terms of what looks best for me, that is going down the route of renovating again. I don't think I've got quite the capacity as a single income earner to buy a very nice home at this stage in my life for the area that I'd like to purchase in. So it's going to be looking like another do up. And I think what's really good here is that when you are purchasing for yourself to live in, there are other considerations. So what mm-hmm. area are you thinking that you're going to live in? So I am looking at an area called Forest Hill. Not a lot of people know it, but for those that do, it is on the North Shore. It is quite close to the motorway, kind of between Takapuna, which is a nice area, and Glenfield, which wasn't considered such a nice area, but has changed over the years. And yes, it's kind of in the middle of that. The funny thing is I'm literally on Google Maps now being like, where is Forest Hill? I know, yeah, no, but I haven't seen it. So it's, all, it's no basically, it. yeah, just, just slightly north of Milford. So a reasonably good area. I don't think we've recommended any properties in that suburb before, mainly because the prices of places or suburbs like Milford and Takapuna are relatively expensive for investment properties. But again, there are some other considerations here around wanting to make sure that A, it's going to be a place you want to live in. And I'm assuming that the flatmates you're going to live with are probably going to be friends or people you know. I actually don't know. I'm not against living with strangers. Well, it'd be nice for them to live with a celebrity. They'll pay you more rent because of that. (laughs) You know what? I did not think of that at all. I don't think that would be an issue. And so some, a big part of girls that invest is investing in shares. So you do a lot of education on understanding how to invest in shares and what all the different terms mean and, and smart investing. But you're wanting to do property and shares. Do you have like a split in your mind that you're willing to do as far as your wealth goes? Like, you know, I'll do 80% in shares and 20% in property or whatever. Oh, that's a great question. I think right now that split looks like 70% shares, 30% property as of current. While I don't have a, like a solid percentage in mind for allocation. I think for me, I couldn't get into property initially without shares. And I think shares is a big part of that journey. I think it's so important to have both. The benefit of property is that you have leverage. You don't have that with shares. The benefit of shares is the fact that it's so liquid. You can't just pull out money from property if you need it, you know, to fund your next business idea or something. So I like both. And I think trying to figure out what that split looks like is actually the next step. Actually, just a question, because I know obviously the share market's been pretty turbulent over the last 12 months. How have you been educating your investors to kind of weather the storm? Because it's probably been a bit scary for particularly some of the new investors that you've been educating. Absolutely. I mean, if someone only started investing in 2020, all they've been used to is is ups until very recently. And so the idea is Funnily enough, very similar to property, you, if you're investing for the long term, you've got to weather the bumps in the same way that the property market is kind of dropping right now, you'd like to think so. You wouldn't panic and sell, you kind of ride it out because you're investing for a reason. And once you reach that goal, that's when you look at cashing out, whether that's through property or shares. I agree. It's just the same. Like You've got to be able to weather the storm and not expect that every day is going to be a sunny day. And actually, there was a really interesting story in your book, Sim, where you did the numbers of if you put $100 a week or something along those lines, I'm going to butcher the story. But Standard. Uh, no, this is what it's happens like when, when you tell my jokes. Oh, I always <laughs> tell them better. But you put $100 a week into the share market, no matter what it's doing, and you compared the returns that you'd get if you just consistently did that versus if you invested at the bottom of every cycle. 
So everybody mm. says, I'm going to wait for the bottom of the market. I'm going to wait for the bottom of the market. But if you put all your money in at the bottom of the market each time. You got it right every time. As a, yeah, and you magically got it right. You'd mm. actually make less money really? than, if, than if you'd invested $100 a week every single week, no matter what was happening. And I can't remember the exact numbers. Perhaps you'll tell us now. Yeah. The story was if you put in $200, 40 years, like in both ways. And the difference was between $900,000 if you invested at the bottom of the market and $1.4 million if you just dollar cost wow. averaged every month. You know, almost half 50% a million. 50% more. That's yeah. amazing. 50% more because of the time that you're in the market rather than trying to time the market. Yeah, and it's because you'll get some highs, but you also get some lows. You'll get it while it's coming down. You'll right. get it while it's going up. So that was a really interesting way to look at it. One last thing. I know we're a bit longer than we usually would be, but that's okay. But we've got a star on the show, so. Oh, stop it. <laughs> you're 26 now, and you're investing pretty heavily in shares and property. So why are you investing? Why, why are you putting all this money? Why aren't you just buying nice Bose headphones, <laughs> and uh, which you've actually got on? <laughs> stop it. I wonder where that came from. Uh, you know, and flasher cars, because often on the show we talk about retirement. Now, you're about 39 years away from the age of eligibility, <laughs> and by the time you get there, like me, it's going to have gone up. So why are you investing? Well, it, it's kind of what you've touched on. It's that idea of, well, as we all get older, like there's less reliability on what like the government can do for us, what our families can do for us. I don't know if children are in the picture for me. And so I really have myself to rely on in terms of my retirement plans. And so that's not the only reason, but it plays quite heavily into this view I have of life where I'd like to imagine that I'm living a life kind of doing what I want because I get to as opposed to I have to take on this job or I have to take on this promotion so that I can get to the next thing to be able to work because it's a choice. Even, you know, up to the point where I'm in my 60s and 70s, I probably will keep working forever. I'd like to know that I'm doing that because I want to and it's not, you know, keep a roof over my head. And it's just so amazing to think when we last had you on the show, you're an optometrist from memory, is that right? Yes, yes. Yeah, and you're just doing a nine to five job and you had a pretty modest income at that time. Now, if I lean into the camera, can you just check out my eyes? And I just just remember any excuse to have someone stare into your eyes. He does this to me all the time. And you're on a modest income and we were amazed at how you'd hustled your way into saving such a substantial deposit. Now you're changing the world with your book and your podcast. It's great. Oh, I don't know what to say to that. That's just very nice. Right, let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, make sure you check out Girls That Invest and Sim, both on Instagram and their podcast. They've also got a course and a book and probably is a YouTube channel coming? Yes. At some point, excellent. And of course, we're going to be back tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics. Oh no, I don't, I'm not up to that point yet. I'm going to play the music. Wow. I couldn't remember. <laughs> He's just starstruck. Here we starstruck. go. Go ahead, push the button. We'll leave the sun. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Steve McKnight. I'm Andrew Nichols. We're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics, and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. <laughs>